you know, as an Aboriginal person in this country, like I'd been to like every jail in New South Wales before the age of eight years old because every male in my family, aside from my dad, has been incarcerated. And so to see kind of prison normalised within a story that was really powerful it became something you could suddenly like talk about. The shame wasn't as attached to it. I do think stories change a national conversation and a global conversation. Representation really matters. It really matters. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Pretty for an Aboriginal. I'm Nikia Louie. And I'm Miranda Tapsell. And we're here to talk about all the things this country has trouble talking about. Like relationships, sex, dating, being a total boss, weight, and most difficult of all, race. Okay, let's start. Hey, Taps. Yeah? Do you think people make a big deal out of your little height? Like use it as an excuse to look over you or talk down to you? <laughs> um, yeah, I think they do sometimes, yeah. Some of the t- really taller people too like to sort of like um, uh, sort of bend down and uh, <laughs> make sure that they reach my face because they feel like they can't talk to me when I'm just looking up at them. Oh, they're coming down <laughs> to your level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shout out to all the short women, by the way, that have to like get up on the bench to like reach the top shelf for a mug or a wine glass. <laughs> <laughs> what is with that? Why do they make them so high? I don't know, but I think there's a lot of tall archi- architects. Um, <laughs> but uh, our guest today is about the same height as me. And in this episode, we're talking to Yael Stone, actor, star of Orange is the New Black and a bit of a hero of mine. Yael Stone! <laughs> Woo! Hey, hey Am I allowed to exist now? Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Thank She's been here so the much. entire time. So um, when we started talking about doing this show, we had a list of people we wanted to speak with, um, people who we looked up to and admired. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you were at the top of the list, of oh, course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, you were sure, like sure, right sure. at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah because yeah, we yeah. love you. Yeah, um, yeah, but sure. we also had people like Donald Glover, Shonda Rhimes, Kenny, Kelly Rowland and Chrissy Teigen. And I guess like the reason why we... We wanted to reach out to all those kind of people is because they've resonated with us and spoken to us in some way. I guess we're trying to understand why we don't feel that when we see, when we see like Australian theatre and like TV. TV yeah, well, I think it's like it's really interesting the space that, you know, whether it be political or whether it's been cultural, that the US has opened up. I think it's a really interesting point that you raise this kind of cultural saturation that that we have. And I wonder what it's like for newer generations if that's changed up. I mean, I'm 32. I'm not quite sure how old you guys are, but certainly growing up, the inundation of, of US culture was pretty intense. Um, and... And I, I don't say that in a bad way. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot to be gained there. It's a very rich entertainment history, um, and and you know, a lot of that stuff has come from influences of all over the world that's been processed via America and then come to us. So it's this huge journey. Um, but but I would have to say, yeah, that that we need to acknowledge that 
that incredible influence and, and kind of pervasive culture that is the United States. And some people, some American actors are like, geez, there's a lot of Aussies in America taking our jobs. And, and I guess my answer to that is, well, your culture is incredibly pervasive. So we watch that as kids. You know, we play in American accents sometimes. Like it's it's a very deep saturation. So it's only natural to expect that if we grow up with that, that of course we're going to kind of want to come over and interact with that culture that's been so influential to us. You know, I think a lot of the times when we have, you know, especially even Australia, like I know for myself, that a lot of our ideas of success, like for me, I wanted to be a writer, but all the books that I read or the the books that I loved were by like, you know, like drunk white guys, right? And it took me a really long time to realize I could be a drunk, Mm. but I could never be a white guy. And Mm. I'm never going to fit that idea of this is what like a great writer is or, um, you know, I remember like, I used to like I used to like Pocahontas and Family Matters, right? <laughs> and those were the two spaces for me in the media. So I wonder if that's pretty if, limited. That's a pretty limited corridor, right? Yeah, like, I'm glad yes. those things are there. Yeah, but that's pretty Pocahontas, mm. Family Matters, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, coming to America. So you know, my family were like support the black people. Um, and then it was also then we we had Deb Mailman on Secret Life of mm-hmm. Us, and yeah. then kind of just Kathy Freeman who was really good at running, and I was like fat and really slow, so I did not identify with Kathy Freeman at all. Mm-hmm. So I think it's this idea of how do we how do we create um, success for ourselves, or how can we get empowered through success um, when we don't see that? Do you, you you mentioned this that you sometimes feel feel smaller because you're constantly having to push? Is that something about trying to find your space over in the states, or trying to? You I know. think it's about being little, just like <laughs> that, you know, yeah, being five feet tall and being like, oh god, I gotta be taken seriously. How can I do this? Um, but you know, it would be, I think it'd be really patronising for me to sit here and be like, oh, I'm dealing with this and this is, I, I'm a I'm a white lady. Um, I come from a, a, you know, comfortable family background, stable middle class. Um, you know, I have a really different experience to what, to what you're talking about. And, you know, for me to have anything to say on that seems a little patronising to, to me, you know, coming from me. Um, but I do know just from, from, the experience of being in the States and the experience of being part of Orange, um, that representation really matters. It really matters. It changes things. Um, you know, people need to see themselves as they're growing up reflected back at themselves. And yeah. what you're talking about, like, you know, Pocahontas, that, cool, like cool, but that that's not that's not quite enough, is it? So, yeah, no, and like really problematic now in like retrospect, <laughs> yeah, right? But, yeah. <laughs> Do you feel yeah. like the things are changing like how do you feel like in an Australian context the representation for like young Indigenous men and women does it feel different does it look different to you guys? Well look it's certainly changing and um, Nikia is like a reflection of that with her writing but I just wanted to I just wanted to go back to I just wanted to go back to Orange Mm. because it was it was kind of surreal seeing you on screen the idea of like going over to the US, like for me, it's, it seems like such a distant thing. Like I think, oh, that's that's still I've still got a long way to go before I go over there. But to see you there in this amazing hit show that's reached millions of people across the world, like it just se- seemed more tangible. <laughs> and but also like in terms of representation, like oh my god. It, I, I just absolutely binged 
on Orange when I watched it um, because of the way it spoke on feminism, um, LGBTQI relationships Mm. and um, like the African-American experience in prison. You know, the reason why representation... it goes, it goes so deep, you know, um, the idea of us because it reminds us that we exist and our experience isn't diminished, you know, um, but because it is, it can be diminished in the media. So when it's shown, even if it's, a, even though it's the African-American experience, you know, it still resonates within the Aboriginal community here because unfortunately, even though we only take up 3% of Australia's entire population. We still take up 27% in Australia's prisons. And it's been 25 years since the Royal Commission into deaths in custody and the numbers have grown. Mm. Um, sorry, I'm just getting yeah, no, a bit I like... So, I, I think, know it's yeah, sorry. No, but I think just, what you're saying is really important because I think, you know, what I'm taking from that is, you know, watching Orange is the New Black and it's so great to have like to see like a you know like a a, a fellow woman um have that type of career path but also for me with that show is that it especially with the death of Pusey like I'm really sorry to people who haven't watched it yet but like with a season pass sorry yeah season Um, five now guys yeah we can beep it or something I don't know or maybe I'm just that doesn't happen and I'm trying to trick you all but with that like when she died I like watching that was surprisingly so, and, and unsurprising on the same point, so um, emotional for me. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people had that reaction of it, it was like watching someone, uh, like a, having a friend pass away. And I think, you know, as an Aboriginal person in this country, like I grew up going, I'd been to like every jail in New South Wales before the age of eight years old mm. because every male in my family aside from my dad has been incarcerated. And so to see kind of prison normalized within a story that was really powerful became something you could suddenly like talk about the shame wasn't as attached to it um and then it reminded me a lot of uh you know like the the death of Mister, who was an aboriginal uh, lady who died in in custody in australia who uh, she was, was unfortunately 22 yeah she had she been went into cardiac um, arrest yeah just in prison for parking fines mm. and she uh she was diabetic um, and she she was asking for help and they, they didn't give her any help and, and she died on her knees. And I think, you know, that it was it was an interesting catharsis in a way because even though, you know, you're mentioning Miranda, deaths in custody isn't something that has gotten any better in the last, you know, decade, well, you know, a couple of decades in Australia, unfortunately, it's it's gotten worse. Um, and we do have an issue with the systematic deaths of, of Aboriginal people at the hands of white culture within Australia. What it did show me with Orange is the New Black, um, and I, I don't know if this was ever, you know, taken into account in the writer's room, but it kind of gave you hope to, to be like, here is a story with parallels about a people who come from a similar diaspora as us and people care enough to tell these stories and to watch these stories and to make these stories. And for me, you know, I, I struggle a lot with what is the importance of stories and will I ever see things change, um, especially in Australia. Mm. Yeah. 
there's there's a few things to address along along the way. Yeah, I think those we start out talking about representation and what's mm. interesting about the show is for so many years people would say, oh, but, you know, we had so-and-so in this show, we had so-and-so in this show. A, t- a token appearance of a person of colour is not sufficient. Mm. So what, what we see in Orange is the New Black is many women of colour, uh, older women, younger women, gay women, straight women. We see many shades. We also see... Hispanic experience, which is really important in the United States to be represented by many women, by many Hispanic women. Um, Just the fact alone that women outnumbered men on the call sheet is a huge deal, you know, in itself. And then to look at the diversity of age, background and experience, you get a, a depth of understanding of a human female experience, right? So that allows for complexity immediately. Um, once you have more than one person of colour, th- then there's there's a, a reason to to go into a deeper complexity with characters um, and have interactions that are multi-layered. Um, so I think that's what people were responding to when they kind of had this like sigh of relief of finally, mm, and not yeah. and not just people of colour, white people who were like, yeah, I'm kind of sick of watching the same thing. I would like something that reflects a reality. Um, I would like something that reflects, you know, I walk around the streets of New York and that's what the streets of New York look like, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and the show is based in New York, so rightly so, it should reflect the streets of New York. Yeah. Um, and I think for a long time we've had a very strange uh, popular culture reflection back at us. Maybe for a lot of white people we're like, oh, yeah, that's that's my life. That feels accurate. Cool, cool, cool. But for anyone else it's like <laughs> a weird fairy tale yeah, that's not yeah. recognisable that you can't connect with. Yeah. Um, and even, even if you're not insulted by it, it's completely isolating. Like there's not mm. much you can do with that. There's no yeah. roadmap for you in that. Yeah. Um, so... Yes, representation is extremely important. And then t- t- going to your really important discussion of the death of Poussey, I think the, m- the most pertinent thing I can say is after that happened, fans, fans were crazy. They were so angry. How dare you kill this black oh. gay character? How dare you do that? You know, that, that's not yeah. fair. Um, that, oh, typical, you kill this character. And the heartbreaking lesson, of course, is of course they had to. Of course they had to. It was happening on the streets. It's still happening on the streets. Yeah. It may happen for a long time to come. Yeah. It's happening here. It's happening there. And the reality is Husay's death, this much-loved character who had hope and that smile and Samira is just impossible not to love, yeah. when a character like that is treated in that way, that's a gateway. That's that's a way for for a whole bunch of people who feel disconnected from Black Lives Matter to go, whoa, this is real and this is how it feels when I lose somebody who I love, even if that's a fictional character. Yeah. That's a gateway in. Yeah. So after that happened, Danielle Brooks, uh, who plays Tasty and yeah. who's yeah. a brilliant human being and a brilliant actress. Um, My boyfriend loves her, by the way. Yeah, like yeah, it makes so, me happy. Yeah, she's I'm like she's pretty your, amazing. Yeah, he like watches it for her. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, you know, if I, I, I'm watching it, yeah, too. she's really yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, she tweeted out after that. Every time I'm paraphrasing right now, but every time you think of Poussey, 
Think of a real person. Hmm. Get angry about a real death and shed a real tear. Oh, um, and, and I thought, fuck yeah, this is what the, the show can cycle people back into a reality. It can stir a kind of sense of rebellion and, and anger that people maybe didn't connect with before that. Yeah. Um, and that's what stories do. Um, and that's, you know, what I've been thinking a lot about actually for the last year and kind of coming to a point where I'm like, what am I doing with my time? Like surely m- my life energy could be kind of more beneficial in another area that has more action in it. Um, but I do think stories make a difference. I do mm. think stories change a, a, a national conversation and a global conversation and I think empathy is a really important key when we talk about that gateway in, into mm. a movement that you feel maybe a little isolated from or frightened by yeah. and suddenly the death of Pusey underneath the, the, the knees of a, a CEO exerting inappropriate force, suddenly you get it. So that's an answer in itself. I think stories do matter. Yeah, I'm going to um, steal that one day when someone asks me a question mm. <laughs> about yeah. this and copy it. Yeah. And just looking back at like stories, stories having worth and and the importance of telling those stories and, you know, talking about the, you know, that that import, um, you know, that so much cultural import from the States. I mean, like stories were like the best invention for that culture in a way um, because they have such a stronghold uh, in terms of influence. Do you think that Australia, do you think we're we're telling those stories here or we're on the the cusp of it or what do you think? I think you guys probably are, right? I think you guys are. You're, you are the voices of, of that, that change, I think, you know, and I'm really glad that that's, that's happening. Um, I think the more and more we can have those voices and have that change, um, the, the better it is. I think we have a, an interesting, there's an interesting kind of movement at the moment because the internet changes things. Um, with Netflix, you know, we were there at the start of Netflix and it just changed the kinds of content we could have on people's screens. Like suddenly, mm. you know, at the end of episode one of season one, I was getting fisted by Natasha Leone in the shower. I don't think we could have that on on network television, you know? Yeah. Like not never before was like the big print, she's getting fisted in the shower, you know? So, Seriously? Oh, so, my God. Like I, I, just as an example yeah. of what, what you can do and the things you can talk about and uh, there's less, there's a little less control about what advertisers say you can and can't do um, on, a, on a streaming show, um, I think the content has changed so much. So we kind of look at this explosive golden age of, of video streaming. I think for me it, it, it started, um, gosh, what was the first show? I think probably The Sopranos was that moment when, it, when everything changed, when you were like, you can write epic stories for television yeah, yeah. Um, and there's much there's a much bigger uh, um, cable experience in the states back then so stories mm. were a little different and we don't we didn't have so much of that in Australia yeah. so I think yeah. as formats start to change and as you know people uh, get a little bit more freedom with content the way they can tell stories and who they get to tell their stories um, the conversation will change. Yeah. And so, you know, venues like like Foxtel might change that because suddenly 
you know, they're telling stories like Wentworth um, and, and there's a, a greater sense of diversity in, in that storytelling, um, which might not have been available on network television. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I suspect that might be the case. Um, and you can, I guess, take a few more risks um, on things that aren't free to air because you can say, hey, this is not for people under you know, 16 or, uh, and, and so there is a greater freedom of, of content and the ability for writers to really like take it there. So Genji Cohen, uh, who's our showrunner on Orange, um, and previously wrote Weeds, they gave her a lot of freedom to do what she wants she wanted in the writer's room and with her overarching vision. So she she really could write this story of incarceration on a really human interpersonal level but also look at things like the money-making side of the prison complex, you know, the fact that prisoners are really a, a great way to make money um, and uh, maybe address the fact that the United States has the largest prison population in the entire world. Mm. Mm. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a little bit more yeah. room to play and I hope that that happens more and more in Australia. And I do see, you know, I look to you guys and I, I say, yeah, it's happening. Yeah, it's really interesting and that's a lot of kudos from you. So if I can just like get you to pitch that to uh, the head of a <laughs> network one day. But it's, it's interesting because, you know, so often you grow up and a lot of uh, actors, in, in particular actors, tend to be very like apolitical. And I think that's, that's changing. I think because there's kind of power in having like a difference of opinion. Have you found that? Like, so yeah, there was, we don't have a, there was um we have a, there was like a study on diversity yeah. in television in Australia. I don't quite know the numbers because I didn't like memorise it. I'm not Rain Man. And, why aren't um, you Rain, why aren't you rain Man? Um, sometimes the I, question I'm asking myself constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever like try and think if you had like a photographic memory? And you're like, oh, maybe God. I do. And you look and you go, <laughs> yeah. you like blink your eyelids and you're like, what? Like, uh, no, I'm so I'm freaking sure I don't. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible with it. But um, but I noticed that uh, someone someone wrote in like this article saying that this journalist basically implied that like that Aboriginal people were like okay because they were taking up like five I think it was five percent of the like casting as opposed to like you know the the other minority groups that were being underrepresented mm-hmm. we took the most out of the minorities I can't quite remember how he worded it but I remember it was quite clumsy because he made it sound as if like that group's okay. Let's chill on them. Let's chill on that and I felt like he kind of gave the impression that we were taking it away from other minority groups. Not that he said it like that but he's like these are the these are the groups that are being underrepresented. Aboriginal people are okay and I and I was just like I just just so deeply disagreed with that because I was just like Oh mate, like it was zero percent for us, like yeah. <laughs> in '92. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that wasn't that was within my lifetime. That's, That's like, not the first yeah. time I've heard that. I got to say, and it makes me pretty angry to hear that. And I'm sorry you had to read that. And I'm sorry somebody thought it was appropriate to write that because <laughs> okay. we really have to address like a long history of not just like underrepresentation, but straight up whitewashing. Like th- that's not an. App- I think it's good that we have these discussions. I think people should be able to 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 uh, put stuff out there. Um, but I think the correct right of reply, for, at least for, by my my white opinion, is that 
we need to redress a really serious imbalance that's been going on for a really long time. And let's also just say these these are the original owners of this land. That's a really important story. Like if we want to understand Australia and what it is to be Australian, like maybe 5% isn't enough. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love this woman. <laughs> you are a legend, Gilbert. <laughs> That is so amazing. Well, it just makes sense to me, right? right? Yeah. That just makes sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Um, you have been quite vocal on um, social media for various Indigenous rights and thank you so much for that. So I guess I just want to ask, what is the area you're moving into? Like what is the action that you crave? Um, well, firstly I want to say you that I think you don't need to say thank you to me, you know. That's the very least that we should be doing. I think being an ally is a really important thing and we should not be doing it. Being a white ally is not something that one should do because we're going to get thank yous, you know. Mm-hmm. That should be the, 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 the normal status quo. Um, so I, I hope that I'm not doing those things for thank yous first and foremost, you know. I hope that I'm not doing those things to look like a nice white lady. I hope I'm doing those things because it's the right thing. Um, I I think that having having a voice for whatever brief moment you know I do, which I felt uncomfortable about. You know, I I feel like, well, what uh, what do I have to say? What could I honestly bring? And and what I can do is shine a light on other things. So for this brief moment, where for five seconds I've got a few you know, Instagram followers that want to hear something. Maybe I can use that moment to direct the attention in other areas, you know, five selfies and then something really interesting, you know, something that an American audience might not know about. I don't think a lot of Americans know about an Australian Indigenous experience. Most of my followers are in America. So when I start talking about an Australian Indigenous experience, that could have a that could have an interesting impact just for global knowledge. Um, so that that's what I see this moment is, just a moment that will not last forever, um, you know, and w- these things fade very quickly. But to know that and to know what it's useful for, to say, like, how can we shine a light on other things? How can we change a conversation? So it's, like, cool and normal for white allies to talk about being white allies, so that's just a cool, normal thing to be able to have those kinds of conversations. Um, so things are changing, you know, and I think the conversation is changing. Maybe it's inside my own little, like, <laughs> liberal bubble, but I hope not. Um, and, I, and I do think it, it's a very strange thing that celebrities have a big voice. It is a very strange thing. Okay, so my skill is I can pretend to be another person. Wow. Okay. Weird. I'm not a politician. I don't affect policy, but I do have this strange power because we've come to like deify celebrities. So do I agree with that? Do I think that's hundred percent right? No, it's probably not, but (laughs) that is a fact. So while I've got that voice, can we, can we do something with it? Can we make some change? Can we change the conversation? And do you get a lot of questions from your followers about, you know, Aboriginal Australian when you talk about that stuff? Uh, I think I see that people are making comparisons. So when we talk about incarceration rates in Australia, the, the 
overrepresentation mm. of Indigenous Australians, um, you know, obviously there's a mirror in the United States. So I see people making those connections um, and and I see an active engagement with trying to, trying to know more. Yeah. And so you're an AIM ambassador as well. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Um, Maybe what AIM is the, um, what that stands for? Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. Uh, so AIM's been around for 12 years, almost 13 years. Mm-hmm. And very simply, it's much more complex than this, but very simply they pair young Indigenous kids uh, with university students in a mentor relationship, a structured mentoring relationship, mm. and the goal is to see those kids thrive and really succeed at school, to graduate with really good marks and to go on and gain access to university to kind of do all that within the, within a kind of powerful white structure, right, but maintain a sense of identity and a connection to their culture and pride with their culture so they can take that into those maybe white power structures of university and then places of power where from inside the system they can flick those levers and make real change. Yeah, brilliant. And how did that come about? Uh Jack Manning Bancroft is the founder of AIM. He founded it when he was 19 years old um, and we were at school together in a composite class, year one, two. He was in year two and I was in year one. Jack's dad is also, was my drama teacher um, at Newtown High for like five years. So yes, and Brumman Bancroft, his mum, is an incredible artist and I've known her since I was really little. She'd come to the school and, you know, teach us about painting and um, and my dad's a huge fan of her work, so we've got her yeah. work all over our house. So you went to Newtown High. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. That's where, like, all the cool kids went. Oh, yeah, we were so cool. Like, all the cool drama kids <laughs> oh with your God. eyeliner and your short skirts. No, I had a very long skirt. Which was a really, Did you wear like, a long I, skirt? Yeah, we were during this phase, like I graduated in 2003 and at that time for some reason it was super cool to have a long kilt at the time. Modesty was so hot at that time in yeah, 2003. Yeah. Yeah. We, were, we were definitely into some heavy modesty but as a small person <laughs> I just look like a lemming. So I should <laughs> never have done I just look like a little oompa without legs. Cool. We, uh, we want to ask you one more question that we ask everyone. Uh, when did you first realise your race mattered? Oh, this is, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Confession time, ladies. I've got two things to say and they're very, very clear to me. When I was 19, I went to a party and there was a guy in blackface and I did not know what to do. I felt really uncomfortable and didn't have enough power to say, hey, that's not cool and these are the reasons why. Um, but I will never forget that for the rest of my life, that feeling of being really uncomfortable and not knowing how to address it. That's one. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, both of these things are, you know, like really have a lot of heat inside of me. <laughs> when I first moved to New York, I I had an Airbnb experience Um, that was incredibly educative for me Um, and I got into this incredible conversation with this wonderful woman um, whose name I still remember and she taught me a lot about white privilege and we had some really intense conversations back and forth and 
I think you know moving to moving to America really activated a, a conversation in me. It made me aware of my defensiveness um, around my privilege, and um, and now I'm you know. I think we always struggle with that. It always feels uncomfortable to address that stuff in yourself. Um, it always feels uncomfortable to address the fact that we get addicted to our own privilege, you know. We didn't realise we had it and um, and once you start to examine it, it's very uncomfortable to know that you've become addicted to those kinds of privileges you've been given. So I work now with a, a group called Liberation Prison Yoga and we go in and, and teach yoga in prison and the woman who leads the organisation, her name's Annika Lucas, and she she is a, a kind of incredible advocate of addressing that addiction and becoming aware of that addiction. Um, so the conversations I've been able to have with her and to and with the wonderful people that um, work for that organisation and the experiences I've had doing that are helping me, um, I guess, dissect and dismantle and, and look at that, that privilege and it's really uncomfortable and I've got, a, you know, I've got all that annoying white guilt um, and, you know, over time I'm, I feel it more and more and I, I think, you know, we've got to address that. It is ugly but those moments that stick with me, those moments where I've realised my race, um, they're, not, they're not pretty, they're not pretty moments um, but they, they are real moments that, that provide this opportunity for, for change. I always really feel like mm. moments of challenge are very fertile for change um, and, and I think that that can happen in so many ways. But th- those are t- two moments that stick out for me really strongly. Wow, Yael. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's yeah. so powerful. Thank you. Thank you um, for joining us, Thank Yael. you so much for thank joining us. So it's such an honour to have you with us. Oh, yeah. It was just the best. Lovely to be here. Wow, Nakia, I'm, I'm blown away by Yael. I think she's incredible. I think she's the epitome of what an ally should be. So if you're ever wondering how you can be an ally to Indigenous Australians, I think you definitely need to hear what Yael has to say. Yeah, I'm a little bit in love with how willing she is to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Like that is really refreshing and I think there's a lot of poignancy that comes from being able to uh, just address uncomfortability and inequality and having to take responsibility for that and not just being like having having guilt you know I think with privilege comes guilt but activating you know your guilt to to do something and trying to share your platform it's a really generous thing so look I'm a little bit in awe I think I have to take like I don't know have some water and take a nap it's I think it's I think she's just so I think she's just such a generous person and she's also accepting who she is and where she sits in the social framework and I think that's really wonderful oh we're so glad that we had her so uh that's the end of the show as you could tell (laughs) we do want to hear from you so please leave us a review on iTunes or contact us on Twitter I'm at Miss Miranda Tap, which I'll never understand because it has as many characters as your full name, Miranda Tap. Okay, look, I was still learning Twitter, and <laughs> um, I couldn't quite get the cell in. Like, so I was trying to get Miss Miranda Tapsell. Yeah, and it was just Miss Miranda Tap. So I should have just done Miss over M- the cell. Yeah, 
I done the miss over the cell. It's really bad. I should have <laughs> just done miss M tapsel. Like that would have fit, but oh, I just did miss Miranda tap instead. Regrets, right? So many regrets. <laughs> and I'm at Nikia Louie. So follow us on Twitter, leave us a review, be kind, we read all of them, tell your friends about us. Listen to us on iTunes and all good podcast apps. And thank you for joining us this week on Pretty Poor and Aboriginal. Pretty for an Aboriginal is hosted and developed by Nikia Louie and Miranda Tapsell, produced and edited by Nicola Harvey and Cinnamon Nippard from Audiocraft. A big thanks to our supporter, Rode Microphones, and BuzzFeed's director of audio, Eleanor Keegan, and the entire BuzzFeed podcast team. This is a BuzzFeed Australia production. Bye. Bye. Bye.